Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're re- Enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Interesting email from a client who actually was listening to the show and said, Carol, I got to tell you, when I listen to you, it's exactly like we're in the office. Keep it up. Well, I appreciated that because I got to tell you, that's what I want for everybody. I want you to feel like I'm your own personalized therapist and coach, and I'm here for you. That is why so often it is, it's my goal to really treat you as if you're sitting right here in my home office with me I want you to have the information that I think will help your recovery, no matter whether you're a male, female addict, male, female partner. It matters not. I mean, we have some of the best guests in the world. And I'm so glad to be back with you today. I got to tell you, I spent 15 days in Florida, really 14. I left for the airport this morning at 4 o'clock. But um, it was an interesting time. It's rainy season there, and they had two floods that actually submerged cars halfway up to their window, and they were, like, in parking lots. And I said, thank you, that that was not my car. I mean, how does that happen in Florida, especially Naples? Naples is, is this really special, exclusive little area that considered the richest county in the world. And so I just couldn't understand how the sewers could be that backlogged. 
But I guess I got seven inches in uh, two hours, and that's, that's a lot of water, right? And I was celebrating. I was celebrating being there with my husband. We had plans to go in April. That didn't happen. Thank you, COVID. And then we decided, hell or high water, we were going to go. We were going to take precautions, but we were going to go. And they're pretty nervous in, in Florida. I don't know what it's like in your state. I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, and it is not that bad. I mean, people practice social distancing, but they don't have that fear. Fear of, you know, like deer in a headlight kind of look. But, boy, they did in Florida. And uh, everybody wore their mask for everything. And, you know, I walk. I walk at least four to eight miles every day, and then I work out every other day with weights. And I'm not kidding you. People would get off the trail when they saw me coming because I wasn't wearing my mask. If I'm outside and I'm exercising, I don't wear my mask. But I scared them because I wasn't wearing a mask. So they would get off the trail and turn the other way. Now, I know it may be like that. In, on your side of the town, you know, I know that, but, uh, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. It just was very, very different. And being on an airplane that was totally full two different times was very, very different. Um, but I think I'm going to be fine. You know, I'm telling my clients, you quarantine you, because I'm ready to start seeing people face to face. And I say, if you want to do telehealth for the rest of the year, I totally get it. But if you want to come in, you need to know I was on an airplane. And if you want me to quarantine for 14 days, I'm probably not going to do it, but I sure am going to understand if you want to do it. Um, I also, you know how I'm always telling you about my mishaps. If you remember, in October, I broke my back in three places and uh, fractured four ribs. Uh, Falling, slipping on a slippery stairway and... uh, just smacking it hard. Uh, my friend said I was missing an action for 45 minutes, and I thought I was gone for three minutes max. So I don't know if they're exaggerating or if I actually passed out. Um, didn't know I broke my back. Walked around, exercised for five days, and then finally went to the hospital and found out that, and they actually sent me to trauma immediately. Yep, Carol, the coach here. I can I can tend to be a bit clumsy because I'm just so full of energy. I don't always watch myself. But I also am stronger than steel. Well, this time, now don't tell my husband, I'm telling you. This time, it was our first day. And um, it was right at the end. We had rented a boat, and it was beautiful. We went to Kiwaden Island, which is this amazing little island, and they have boats, you know, for drinks and for food and for souvenirs and for ice cream. And it's just a fun way to be together. <laughs> Not as socially responsible as it could be, but it was fun. And so right at the end, I decided to dive in. Well, I did a belly dive because what I knew is that I didn't know how deep it was and literally – I did a belly dive, and immediately my hand hit the um, kind of the mucky dirt, and I went, whoa, am I glad I didn't dive straight in and break my neck. So I come up, and my husband helps me up off the front of the boat, and he's so nervous about being being so shallow because um, 
the guy had said to us, there are some shallow areas, and if you've been the prop, you pay for the prop. And so in his anxiety, he, I thought he put it in reverse. He later told me, no, I put it in forward. And he propelled me across the boat because I wasn't sitting down yet. And I hit the back of the boat, fell to my knees so hard. I said, honey. And um, with that, all of a sudden I saw blood spurting out of my head. So I grabbed a towel and I put it up to my face. And, of course, I don't let go. And, and in my worst nightmare, I think, oh, my gosh, my face has been split open. It's probably eight inches long. The skin's probably peeling off. I hope you don't have a weak stomach. But the truth of the matter was when we got to the hospital on Saturday night, and, of course, they didn't let my husband go in because it was COVID, right? Um, she tells me, oh, wow, you already stopped the bleeding. And I said, oh, I did, because this, this towel was saturated in blood. And that's why I thought I had lacerated my entire face. And she goes, no, yeah. And I go, well, do you think you can, you know, just put a, oh, what do they call that, that Band-Aid? Butterfly. Butterfly Band-Aid on it? And, and she goes, no, I don't think so. Um, and she says, wow, you hit hard, didn't you? And I said, yes. And she, I said, how can you tell? And she said, because your face is already black and blue. And I mean, that was like 20 minutes in, right? Well, I get the three stitches. I go for a CT scan. Um, I get tired of waiting. I'm in a wet bathing suit in a freezing hospital. For all you doctors out there, I know you know what I'm talking about. They put three covers on me. wasn't wasn't nearly warm enough. And I literally, I have super low blood pressure. And my blood pressure was 180 over like 110. And I I just was mad, not at my husband, just mad that I had hurt myself. Um, And my husband felt so bad. Well, they stitched me up. They sent me home. And for the next five days, my right side of my face was more and more and more purple. I mean, brilliant purple. As in, I look like I had been hit by a truck. (laughs) So I just, um, I got the darkest makeup I could, because I was pretty tan anyway, but (laughs) covered up that purple. Uh, I said I had a carnival tan, and um, just made the best of it. My face didn't hurt. Uh, well, it did, but not too badly. didn't hurt as bad as it looked. And I had my husband and I for the first six days, and then a set of girlfriends, three girlfriends for the next five days. And then they left, and then I had another girlfriend come in. So everybody got to see me and uh, support me through my, my uh, catastrophe. So that was this visit in Florida, the moral of the story is I need to be a little less active. You know, I'm moving into retirement. I'm trying that. And I don't know how I'm going to do that because I'm getting more and more clients. You cannot write a book and have two podcasts 
without being inundated with clients. So if you're a client out there, I might just tell you, I'm probably going to have to graduate you soon. And I don't know how I will ever do less, but I got to at some point. I'm just warning you. You've heard me say it before. This is the oldest podcast for sex addiction um, ever because I did it before podcasts were cool. As a matter of fact, I didn't even think they were cool. I was just doing it because I thought if I can help 30 people out there, I'll be doing my job. 758,000 open downloads a week later. That's how people are clamoring to get information on sex addiction. And, you know, tonight I'm going to be interviewing uh, the authors. Uh, You know, I realize it's Hillary Berry, and she's going to come on, and she wrote the book, actually probably with her husband, Joe, We Survived Infidelity, An Unexpected Life Lesson. And she is the founder of Infidelity Care for Women. It's a support ministry. And this couple is really cool because the truth of the matter is they are sharing their entire story with with us. And she and her husband, Joe, have made the courageous decision to share their story so that they can spread the hope. You know, she and her husband endured the pain of discovery, the emotional roller coaster of betrayal trauma, and now they've learned to help men and women struggling with sex addiction and betrayal. They've learned how to do that by sharing their life lessons. So we're going to be talking about her life, uh, the pain of sexual betrayal, what that's like, how they decided to turn it into a ministry, and I love a good autobiography. So I'm telling you, this book, and I've read it, We Survived Infidelity, An Unexpected Life Lesson. Um, You can get that on Amazon, by the way. I am just super impressed with all the people that want to come forth and pay it forward and help sex addicts and partners alike. I'm getting ready to do an APSAP training. You know, that is the partner-sensitive training institute for clinicians and coaches. And I'm doing that this weekend. And those people, I'm telling you, they have a mission. They have hearts as big as gold. Uh, they're really skilled. I feel like I belong to two of the best organizations in the world because I, I belong to ITAP, too. And everybody knows that's Patrick Carnes' organization with Stephanie Carnes, who I had on last month. And uh, she's now really working with couples and helping them heal. So this profession is so skilled in getting the word out there, whether it be a ministry a clinician, a coach, you know, when things like this, when tragedies have happened, you've got to turn obstacles into opportunities. And that's what Hillary and Joe, we survived infidelity and unexpected life lessons. So I'm 
very curious to find out how they managed to do that. Now, I do believe I had her on the line, but she has disappeared, so hopefully she will call back. (laughs) I know she will. And I'm going to ask you whether you're an addict or you're a partner. The 12th step of any recovery program asks you to give back, to make it your life's mission, figure out a way to make a difference. And how might you do that? You know, Patrick Carnes talks about leaving a legacy. So I'm going to ask you, what would you do if you were going to leave a legacy in the world of sexual addiction or partner betrayal? We already know that Hillary, um, Hillary Berry has done that. So Hillary, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Hi, Carol. Thank you so much for having me this evening. 100%. I'm excited to have you because this book is unbelievable. Now, are you talking with me today by yourself or did you bring Joe along? Well, um, Joe is actually out in the hallway right now, but um, (laughs) I I can bring him in here if we decide we want him to join us. Well, your write-up didn't say anything about it, but together you have created this ministry and this mission to help couples. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, just some general information of how you got this thing going? Okay. Well, um, just to tell you a little bit about myself, Joe and I live in central Ohio. We have seven kids who actually live in six different states. So we do a lot of traveling. I am a teacher of children with special needs. And as you said, we lead uh, ministries to support people who are impacted by infidelity. And the reason that we got into this was that that was our story. About six years ago, I found out that Joe was having an affair. And as anyone on this journey knows, my world fell apart. Um, But apparently there was a plan. (laughs) You know, God had a plan for us to do something with this mess. And um, it took took years and it took a lot of intervention. But as we began to heal one day, Joe said, I don't think God's healing me so I can sit around and watch football on Saturdays. I think he wants me to help men. And that was really the start of us looking into how, how can we help other people? How can we help both couples and individuals who are impacted by this devastating situation in their marriages? Well, I know. And so obviously you went from point A to point Z, and you just gave me that brief interlude. But truly, I work with coaches, and what I know to be true is that, wow, There is no doubt that this is the most devastating thing that can happen to a partner, let alone a coupleship. So how did, tell me about the discovery and what that was like to be experiencing sexual betrayal. Well, um, 
we actually it was at Christmas time, so um, you know, add add a holiday in there. Um, I I was so excited about this holiday. We were heading back east to visit um, with some of our girls, and Joe had a text interaction with a friend of ours, and I asked him about it, and something did not seem right. Um, it wasn't until later that night I was laying in bed, and that thought came to mind again about this text conversation. So I got up and, and looked at his phone, which was something I never had felt a need to do before, and found out that um, his interactions with this friend of ours were well beyond what is appropriate for, uh, you know, a married man. And when I confronted him about that, he he did admit to having an emotional affair. My world fell apart. I, Joe and I were best friends. I I felt like I just had, you know, was living on on top of the world. I had my dream life. So this was quite the devastating thing to find out. Um, Joe went back home as we had planned. He went back home because he had to work. I stayed with my daughters for a week. We never said anything to them about it. And it, it was like a nightmare for for me, and I found out later for Joe also to be home alone realizing that he may have just destroyed his marriage. Um, I, oh, I stayed, yeah, yeah. I stayed pretty isolated with, with the situation for that first year, actually. Joe and I tried... Um, to, to fix this together without really bringing anyone else into our situation. And what happened was I just kept finding out more and more and more brokenness. It, it turned out it wasn't an emotional affair. It was a physical affair. Um, there were other online activities. There were many other avenues that Joe's brokenness had taken and uh, we really had a slow trickle for almost a year of information, and I just became more and more isolated in in my own shame, in my own pain. Uh, had some PTSD episodes, some of them rather scary. I had a lot of um, um, anxiety attacks, which I didn't even realize at the time that that's what those were. I I was triggered by everything. I realized that um, the world, to me, became a battle zone where there were attractive women everywhere on TV, you know, running past our house on in magazines. I just everything felt like uh, a potential to destroy my world. Oh, I bet. And can I ask you real quick, you said you became more and more isolated as the disclosure, well, the staggered disclosures continued, and you said you felt a lot of shame. Can you tell me about that for a second? How did that turn into shame for you? I was, from this side of things, it it doesn't make much sense. But while I was in it, I was ashamed because I obviously, so I thought, I was not good enough for my husband. I, I, I must not be pretty enough. I must not be sexual enough. I must not give him enough attention or show him how much I desire. 
I wasn't good enough. Because he was cheating on me, if we told anyone, that meant everybody would know I'm not good enough. I was embarrassed by what he did. I was embarrassed by the fact that he felt this need to reach outside of our marriage to other women. And I I did not want anyone to know that. I also had a fear that people would tell me to leave him, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to believe that this man wasn't the man I thought he was. I also... But isn't um, that the truth? Well, I was going to say, it's that shame of thinking that there's something wrong with you for staying, but you do want to stay. Mm-hmm. And I felt that anyone in their right mind, especially because I kept finding out more, anyone in their right mind would tell me to leave, you know, get out, get out. He's, He's very, you know, he's a cheater. Once a cheater, always a cheater was, was one thing that a, a friend of mine that I did tell said, once a cheater, always a cheater. And mm. I know now that that's not true. I didn't want to believe that that was true of Joe. No, and you know what I believe is that you had very good intuition and you knew he was very sick and you were willing to work through that to help him. And obviously, you turned that obstacle into opportunity by helping others, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of strange how, um, and, and I hear this from so many women, I was on this roller coaster where for me, it seemed like intellectually, I could see at times that my husband was like a broken little boy. It was like he had two personalities, the man who loved me and the broken little boy who was making all these bad choices. I could understand that on some level. And then I would turn into this, you know, it it would go down into my heart and I would turn into a crazy woman and, and yell and scream at him. So it was like I wanted to help him get well, and yet my emotions at times just would be so out of control that that I was, um, fortunately not very often, but on occasion I was verbally abusive to him. And thankfully, mm-hmm. he stood still and just allowed that to happen when it happened because he felt like he had turned me into that crazy woman. And he had to just well, sit there and, and, you know, take it until I could quiet myself back down because we didn't have help. You know, it is such a slippery slope because I, uh, you know, there's no doubt about it. Trauma produces, um, trauma produces reactions that are stress reactions, post-traumatic stress and and that brings out the anger, you know, the old fight, flight, or freeze. And there were times that you got emotionally dysregulated, and that wasn't who you were, but that was a response to your trauma. Right, right. And I cried almost all the time, and I was not a crier, but I was so confused. I would say to Joe, did I always get mad like this? 
did I always cry like this? One of the things was I got lost a lot. I, I did have a couple of dangerous situations in a car, um, but I would be, one day I was even driving home from work, uh, a route I knew very well that was really only like two or three different roads, and I suddenly thought I was somebody else. I became someone else, and I'm talking to myself saying, I'm, I'm not her, I'm not her. Her husband cheated on her. That's someone else. How, what am I doing in her life? Like in my head, I became a, a split personality, and I didn't know where I was, even though I'm driving home from work. And finally, it took a while, but I realized I needed to call Joe, and, and he was able, you know, it, he tried to get me to stop the car, which I wouldn't. I, I felt like it was going to catch up with me. I'm not sure what it was, but the fear that I was feeling was just so overwhelming. And finally, he quieted me enough to start telling him um, landmarks, things that I saw as I was driving. And he figured out where I was and got me home. But, you know, I said, did I always get lost? I don't remember getting lost. And he would say things like, no, you have a really good sense of direction. You've been wounded. I wounded you. That's why you keep getting lost. And I love that about him, that he was willing to stick with you and your pain and your anger and your rage and your confusion and your disorientation because he knew that he caused that pain. And it's one of the ways that he could take care of you while you heal. Right, right. In the beginning, I did not really realize that he needed time to heal also. So fortunately, with his ongoing validation, it quieted me enough to be able to start to give him some space that he needed to reflect and as he began to um, realize how many of the things that he'd been doing were not okay, it was kind of like a peeling away. We always hear about peeling away the layers of the onion. He was peeling back his own brokenness and realizing that talking to other women the, women the way he had been doing was not okay. Keeping secrets from me was not okay. And he started to come to some of these realizations on his own. At that point, he, uh, we were both seeing counselors. He was seeing a counselor. It took four times to get a counselor who understood sexual brokenness. And my mm-hmm. counselor did not. She gave me some really good strategies for taking care of myself, but there were some ways that she did not give me good advice because she she had not been trained specifically in working with with spouses. Well, and I, I always say counselors don't know what they don't know if they haven't really been right. trained on part betrayal and sexual addiction. Can you, for our audience, just give one piece of advice that was not, um, it, she didn't mean to give you bad advice, but it just happened because she didn't know. Right. Um, 
there are two things that stick out for me. And one of them was maybe I should try to have Joe tell me how I should dress. Some of the things that he would prefer that I wore. Right there making it seem like, oh, if I had dressed differently, then maybe he wouldn't have cheated on me. Uh, Another thing was Uh uh, talking about, well, maybe if I changed things up in the bedroom, then he wouldn't have felt the need to um, look outside our marriage. Both, both yeah, of which are totally Right. We call that treatment-induced trauma because it's the therapist indirectly insinuating and or blaming the partner for sex addiction, which sex addiction has nothing to do with how often you have sex, what, you know, what you dress. It it has to do with their compulsivity and how they brain-locked certain information. Now, you originally said your husband had emotional affairs that you later found out were physical affairs. And that was in the first year of discovery? Yes, there was actually only one affair that had been a physical affair, but he did have um, emotion, more than one emotional affair. He had, you know, quite a few online interactions, and, um, yeah, I don't really feel like going into too much detail with the specifics of that, but his brokenness was um, kind of this spider web of, interactions with women in many different ways, all of which he had in very small increments learned to justify because he wasn't actually having a physical affair. So it was okay in, in his justifications. Well, and, you know, I know that in the book it indicated that he did what a lot of addicts do, but they hate to talk about. They actually, in wanting to make things right with their partner and wanting to restore their own sense of integrity, they have to go through the morning of grieving the affair partner. So how would you handle that? Oh, I did not handle that very well. When um, it, it actually came up pretty early in in my discovery, like before I knew it was a physical affair, I thought it was an emotional affair, which I now realize is just as awful. (laughs) Um, But I had read an article saying that he would have to grieve the affair. And I'm thinking, no way, no, no, no. And Joe was trying to be honest as best he could. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, I'm really struggling with that. And I was just devastated because at that point, I thought this was all about me. I'd been betrayed. I'm broken. Now we're going to flip this switch. You're never going to think about her again, talk about her again, you know, and and she'll just be gone. And that's not how it works. That is not how it works at all because he had an emotional attachment and a physical attachment to this woman and had patterns of behavior that 
were very much connected to her, and it was going to be a struggle for him to replace those um, habits of interaction with just being with me, I guess. Or, um, But that was a very painful thing to realize. Well, absolutely. And so, I, you know, here I would not say this to you if you were a – a partner that had just gone through discovery or even a year into it. But I do applaud his honesty. And I'm sure part of that honesty was because you probed and probed and probed, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. The other thing was and years ago, this, this kind of tells you about Joe always wanted to be a good man. He wanted to uh-huh. be a man of integrity. He years ago had said, we need to have an honesty policy where we don't keep any secrets from each other. That was his idea. And here it turns out he was keeping lots and lots of secrets, but he didn't want mm-hmm. to. So once so we started kind of open, petering with being honest, right? Yeah, sort of. I don't know. I don't know if he was even close to it with most things or with with anything to do with this because he was so ashamed. And his big fear was that I would leave him if I knew his biggest fear was losing me. And, you know, that is so interesting you say that because that is what I hear at least nine out of ten men say is that that fear of losing the woman they love is the thing that that brings them back into reality. So, so mm-hmm. now I want to ask you, as you look back at your own behavior, do you feel like your interactions with Joe were helpful? Um, do you think in any way, shape, or form that you hurt his recovery when you had that old mindset that this was all about you and it was your partner betrayal and he just needed to take a back seat to your knees? I I think that in if I had continued to make it all about me, we may not have made it. But in the beginning, it it's almost like he felt like he needed something to do. One day we had an argument and he started to leave the house be, and saying, "I I just don't know how to help you. Maybe I just should leave." And he started to walk out the door and this is when I still thought it was all about me. And I said to him, oh, no, I know you're not feeling good right now, but your job is to comfort me. And from that point on, he did make that his mission. He never again tried to kind of run away from an interaction. And I wonder if that's because it gave him something to do. And so when I would cry, he would hold me. And when I'd yell and scream, he'd stand quietly. Um, you know, but he was always trying to comfort and honor the fact that I was wounded. Fortunately, I, he was my best friend. And I knew that part of him was a broken little boy. And I wanted him to get well. I really wanted once, it was like the more I learned about sexual brokenness, because I read and read and read. And the more I learned about a man's sexual brokenness, the more I realized that this is not a a quick fix. It's not a switch he can flip. This is 
um, something that goes way back, way back before Joe and I met. Part of the reason I wanted to write this book is I want women to understand it's not their fault. And as I realized this was not my fault, this was something that happened to Joe that he was not happy about. And he really, it seemed like he was having a good time with all these women, but he was really trying to fill an emptiness in him that had nothing to do with me. And I think in realizing that, even when I would rage at times, when I didn't, I was supportive of him and loving him and trying to help him get well, trying to understand. And so we were we were lifting each other up, but then also knocking each other down at times because he would tell me a really hard truth. And I would say, what? you know, in my journaling, I journaled and journaled and journaled, and I'd write down, why does he keep telling me things I don't want to hear? Because he never did that before. He was my best friend, and he only told me what I wanted to hear, which is why he wasn't telling me the truth. But now he was telling me things I didn't want to hear because he was telling the truth and realizing how much that he, was, he loved me enough to risk being vulnerable and risk telling me the truth about the struggles he was having as he tried Mm -hmm. to get well. Well, it sounds like you both had a lot of emotional maturity once you got through that brokenness. So was there a turning point for you when you kind of felt the shift in the relationship? There was, um, there was kind of two things I think I would point out. There was, Joe and I were not um, believers. We, We were not, Uh, We didn't have a relationship with God. And slowly that began to happen through this time where he and I started to, me first, started to have a relationship with God because I was so lost and so broken and I wasn't turning much to other people. Um, So that was just a very slow, gradual thing that really helped. But a turning point was when I went away on a retreat just an overnight thing. I wasn't even sure why I went, um, but I felt like I needed to go to this. And it turned out while I was there, I met another woman who was on this same journey. And she told me about a men's group. And so I kind of, you know, I wrote that down. And, you know, she asked if Joe was still lying to me. No, no, we've got that all figured out. No more lies. Oh, poor thing. This woman is still being lied to. Isn't that sad? I get home that evening and thinking about her, I go on the computer. Oh, I'm going to prove Joe's not lying to me. And I found pornography that I didn't even know was part of the situation. Um, I late when I confronted Joe, he for the first time was very defensive with me and, and blaming. He just was different. And I finally said, what else do you need to throw in the dumpster? What other horrible thing has happened? And he told me he had contacted his affair partner again. He had been in touch with her a couple of times. And this was about 10, 11 months out from discovery. And when Joe said that, he went from being this angry man, and he put his head in his hands, and that's when he said, my biggest fear is that I'm going to lose you. That is my biggest fear. 
Later that evening while I was journaling, trying to process all of this, I realized Joe couldn't tell me the truth about the pornography, about contacting his affair partner, because he was afraid I would leave him. And that was such a turning point because it also meant his brokenness was alive and well in our marriage. I thought it was all behind the discovery, but it was alive and well today here in our marriage. But I had to make Joe understand I would not leave him. He did not have to be perfect in his sobriety. He had to be Uh honest. I needed honesty to be the focus over purity. And that was a turning point for us, to make honesty the priority. Yes, that's good emotional maturity again, because when you make honesty the priority and you hear things you don't want to hear, you can rebuild and, and build from that. I mean, honesty is at the foundation of recovery so Mm -hmm. now I want to ask you and I want to remind our listening audience that I am talking to Hillary Berry who wrote we survived infidelity and this book is about the unexpected life lesson that you learned and you've got this ministry and, and you've written this book Tell us a little bit about the book and also the ministry. What are you doing with all this? Well, um, the book itself is our story. It is a memoir, and it ha- it is. people are, are shocked by how detailed it is. And the reason it is so detailed is I journaled, as I said, nonstop throughout our entire journey. I then turned my journals into um, a story that actually reads more like a novel, you know? So um, it, it's, it's much more readable than I thought it would be in the beginning. You know, it just really, I mean, people cry when, when they read the story. Um, I, I first wanted to turn it into a book, my journals into a book. I felt like I was kind of led to do that because I didn't want women to feel so alone like I did. I was by myself, and I felt so lost and lonely, and I felt like no one would understand. And so in writing the book, I, I as best I could, included the emotions that I felt in that lost, lonely time and some of the PTSD episodes. I, I also included how, um, how Joe responded to me and how together we began to grow to, um, in our ability to support each other and love each other. Um, when I realized I needed to get tested for STDs, I... Um, I actually, I, I came just sort of why we had just had a big argument and, or actually that's when I first found out it had been a physical affair. I, I stayed in my closet for quite a while and then I came out and asked Joe, do I have to get tested? And he said, yes, I will go with you. And instead of beating him up, I walked over and just laid my head against him and he wrapped his arm around me. And I get emotional just thinking of that. I mean, there were so many pieces of of our journey that were like 
loving. So it is a love story. Right. Yet it's such a yeah. you know it's such a brokenness. Um, but then you get to see the progression of how how we came into a healing place, and the story actually ends at the first um, first women's group meeting that I held. At the time, the group was called in, uh, Hope and Healing. And it was a beautiful meeting with two two other women, and they just um, bonded immediately, these two ladies, because they were both so broken and so desperate, but they weren't alone anymore. And that's what we wanted to, to provide for other other people. We did finally find groups on our own. Um, when I met that woman at the retreat, Joe did go to the men's group and found out later there was a women's group. And that's when we really started to heal, seeing other people who were where we wanted to be, other people who had survived. And I want to give people hope with this book. I feel like we've been given this this love story, and we want to help other people um, to have hope and to to try to survive because you can. It's not it doesn't mean it's over. Right. Absolutely. And so obviously you when you found the strength of of being with these women and seeing their metamorphosis into to health from not being isolated, you decided we are going to create this ministry. Now I wanna know real quick did you ask Joe if you could write the book, or did you, uh, I mean, did you collaborate on this? How did this work? Well, um, Joe is, he's funny because he's of two minds. He's ashamed of what he did and wishes he didn't feel like we have to tell everybody about it, but he believes so much in our story and the fact that our story can help other couples, that he actually hired me a writing coach to help me at the initial stages of of writing the book. And Joe is actually my editor, which sometimes doesn't go very well because he he gets very emotional while he's reading the book. And so he does miss some of the mistakes, you know, so I did have to get other people to help edit. But he has helped me come up with the right words. We've had to go back to some of our most difficult situations and he would help me relive them with tears running down, both of us, so that I could um, put our true story down on paper. So, yeah, it's crazy. absolutely beautiful. How many men would hire a writing coach so that you absolutely do the best job you possibly can. Amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. So now tell us some of the life lessons. You've got about five minutes to share the life lessons you have learned from trying to heal from this infidelity. Well, and it would take me, it took me a whole book to tell all the life lessons that we earned, <laughs> learned. Um but to just briefly, getting a counselor that understands sexual brokenness is for both the man and the woman is so, so crucial. I think also finding groups like what Joe and I lead um, so that you have 
you have other people who are there that are at your level of brokenness, other people who are where you want to be. And I just think it's so important to be with other women and the men with other men who who have walked that journey. I think that you need to learn everything you can through books um, and podcasts and, and anything else you can find on relational trauma. I began to heal when I learned how broken I was. You, you need to understand so that you can grieve your losses, be patient with yourself, do self-care, and, and realize that you're wounded and you will get better. You also need to learn about sexual brokenness. I think it was um, so helpful that I was reading men's books about that so I could understand Joe's part of the journey. As I said, the truth on so many levels is important with the disclosure, accepting the past. You need to walk away from from the darkness, but you need to know what it was. Um, So for us, honesty over had to be the priority over Joe Joe's purity. He he may slip here and there. But if he tells me about it, it won't progress. We can catch it. And then you go I go back to healing and community because that's where you get the strength where you can decide whether your marriage is going to make it or not. Nobody should be making decisions early on this journey because you don't know you know, where you are, you're wounded and he's broken. So um, taking the time to make yourself, get yourself healed is so important before making decisions. Um, It was important to me to trust that God had a plan and that his plan was going to be a good one, whether I ended up with Joe or not. I, I had to trust that to keep from going crazy. And knowing, I think finally knowing that Healing is a process that takes time. We don't want it to take time. We want to fix it right now, but it does take time. And if you're willing to take the time, you will learn and grow and end up in a better place, regardless of whether your marriage makes it or not. If you, if you allow for the healing process to take place, you will grow and you will learn. And things will get better. (laughs) Well, there is no doubt that you have learned so many important lessons. What is the one thing you would tell our listening audience as they have heard your story and need and want hope? Um, Well, one of the things, you know, because I have, a lot of people contact me. I I know that I, on my website, hillaryberry.com, I have a list of resources. And I know a, a lot of um, people do that. They have lists of resources on their websites. And there are podcasts. There are groups. I know, Carol, you've got your book there, and, and your podcast. There's just so much out there, and I think it's important to take advantage of all that you can find. But I think going to the resources page on people's websites is huge because then hopefully you can find whether you want to read books, listen to things, watch videos. It's just important to open yourself up to all the possible resources that can help you. 
Absolutely. And now I just have to ask you, how can our listeners get a hold of you? I know that they can go to your Facebook group, Infidelity Care for Women, and you have a website, www.hillary, H-I-L-L-A-R-I-E. Oh, no, one L, right? H-I-L. Yeah, H-I-L-A-R-I-E. Barry, B-A-R-R-Y dot com. And do you have a phone number or uh, an email? Um, I do have an email on my website. Um, I'm, I don't okay. usually pass it out super openly, but it is on my website if somebody wanted to contact me directly. Uh, our Facebook group is a a private group for women who are on this journey, and um, you can always reach me there if you are a woman on this journey. I also am on Twitter at Hillsbury, H-I-L-1-L-B-A-R-R-Y. You can find me on Twitter. And I do have a Facebook page also under my name where you can reach me. Excellent. Well, Hillary, I just want to thank both you and Joe. I mean, you have taken this tragedy and you've made it, you turned it into a miracle because whenever you can give back like you've done, there's nothing more valuable. Um, I admire your courage and your strength and your fortitude and wish you and Joe the best of luck because couples can heal from this, can't they? They certainly can. We we actually are scheduled to meet with a couple this week um, who just found out that they are also on this journey. And I'm always excited to do that, to, to reach couples when they're new, because you can fix this. If both of you want the marriage to work, it can be healed. And it's just, it, it you end up with something so much better. Oh, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. And again, For our listening audience, the book is called We Survived Infidelity, an Unexpected Life Lesson. Hillary Berry, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. All right. So that is obviously a woman who has made it her mission with her husband, Joe, to, to make a real difference in the life's Couples everywhere. You can heal from this. I promise you that. I wouldn't have written my book if I didn't believe that to be true. And if you want to um, increase your healing, go to my website, www.sexhealthwithcarolthecoach. Go to the home page. Sign up for my online course. And once you've signed up and purchased that course, That entitles you to sign up for my live workshop. Well, it's virtual, but I am going to be speaking to you about how to make your coupleship better. I'm going to answer questions, and it's for for the sex addict and his wife to help her heal. And that's July 18th. So go to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Sign up for both, and I promise you it will reinforce the concepts you need to be the best couple ever, stronger than ever. I'll talk to you later for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And as I say, at all times, there'll only be one of you 
fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one. <laughs>